We don't react to people. We react to who we think people think we are. So I project who I think the person is, who I think they think I am, because, and that's going to be come out of who I think I am. So if I think I'm only valuable because I do these things for other people, I'm going to be suspecting the only value they see in me is what I do for them. After some success, the question, what's next, can look like an exciting possibility or an existential crisis. Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high-stakes conversations for relentless company founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There is no conversation too risky. This week, Adrian, Dan, and I sit down with Davide Zaccarillo. Sorry if I slaughtered the pronunciation of your last name, Davide, to discuss the crisis of what's next. We work with so many founders and leaders that dedicate their whole life to making something successful. That's the entire aim. But in that battle, most never stop to ask themselves, what comes after the success? Who am I committed to being then? What will drive my focus? What will give me purpose? How will I cement my legacy? Who am I once this thing is successful? Without that kind of proactive conversation, what you want most, success, will show up like a crisis. So if you're building towards success now, this conversation is crucial for you because it will show you how to start planning for the success you will have one day. If you find yourself currently in the crisis of what's next, this conversation will open up so much possibility for you. And we have an exclusive offer for you. Later this year, we're hosting an experience called Icon that Dan, Adrian, and Davide are hosting and guiding. Three days in North Italy, focused on turning what's next from crisis to courage. If you're interested in applying for this experience, I put a link in the description of this episode. Now, let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. I'm excited for this conversation. We get our good friend from Italy, Davide, with us. Davide, can you take it? I know you've been on the podcast before. Will you take just a moment, introduce yourself? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm Davide Zaccarello, and uh, I'm uh, in this field uh, since 30 years ago. And uh, the guy that introduced me to the field, believe it or not, is the guy, the bold guy right there. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so basically, what I've been doing, the first part of my career was actually with Dan Tacchini in the States and around. And in Italy, I used to be in the social world, working with inmates, working with uh, uh, psychiatric prisons and, uh, and hospitals with palliative cares, helping people die, basically, and the people around. And the second part of my career actually has been in business because I teach in a business school in England, Ashridge, and uh, it's actually in Berkhamstead. And... Uh, I work with the University of Genoa at this moment, uh, helping uh, the pr the primary doctors to develop their management skills to manage mm -hmm. the whole hospital. So uh, we're kind of working on relationship basically now, and uh, the coaching and training is all about finding the nuts and helping people to learn how to untie those nuts. That's pretty much the, the job I do right now in companies and uh, and and in, with with private clients. Great. We're so grateful to have you, man. The impetus of this conversation is a really exciting event we have coming up towards the end of the year in November in Italy in partnership with Davide. We're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. We'll give you some details. Uh, what we really want to do is talk about the challenge that that event, that experience 
will be addressing, which is the crisis of now what? And that might raise some ears, like, what are you talking about? What is the crisis of now? What we're talking about is the experience of becoming successful in business in an area of life. And the question always begs, now what? What's next? And that can, that can show up like possibility. That can show up like excitement. Often, it can show up like a crisis. Uh, you know, and there's so many dynamics to this crisis, and there's so few people, Dan, as we, before we hit record, you were saying yourself, there's so little information. There's so little people talking about this experience in crisis. So we wanted to take some time together and explore it over the next few minutes. So let's dive in. I want to talk about the nature of the crisis first. What is it about success that can develop this idea that what next can induce fear? Open floor. Open floor. Well, I think it's the crisis of success, right? I mean, you—it's not something one thinks about till it comes upon one. Generally, in my experience, with myself, I've—I've I've had some successes. I've ex- exited them. Even when you fail at something, it, the similar thing comes up. But in a success, it catches you by surprise, and um, particularly with a lot of the clients that we've worked with. When they exit a company and they've done well, this crisis comes up, right? And if you think about it, the, a, a, a founder spends all their life just focused on developing their business, their team, their market, their all the people they're influencing with, coordinating it, aligning it. And then they get to the place where somebody comes along and says, hey, why you ever thought about selling it? And or you've ever thought about, you know, us buying you up? We can do that, and they're usually very excited. They it isn't something they have thought too much about, or they they've thought about it, but it, it's on the back burner. It's something that, and then now now they're faced with that, and then they invest themselves in that whole process. Like, what does it take to, you know, they've got to organize their team. They've got to know what the top twenty potential buyers in their market are. They got to. They've got to prepare the team. They've got to know what to tell the team, what not to tell the team in order to keep the team focused so the business doesn't change. I mean, there's a million different phases that they go through, but they're completely immersed in, like a, like a parent is with a child, working this business to a place where, and then they sell it. And it, it's like the empty nest syndrome. You know, it's when your child leaves, and now they no longer depend on you for everything. Even though the stress is up, you're looking for that. All of a sudden, what hits you is, now what? Who am I now? What? Where do I derive my meaning from now? Because when you're that involved, it's, I think it's inevitable that a portion, or if not all of your identity, can very easily be wound into the success and operation of their business. And so it, the- it produces a huge void. Dan, I think of when you talk about the prison work that you've done with lifers, right? And you're asking them, what's your vision? What do you want? What's what's next? And that, you know, their whole focus is get out. Yeah. Get out. Go go in front of parole. Get out of here. And you say, Well, that's no vision. Yeah, because you're gonna come back because when you're out, and then this I think, you know, and a lot of owners, founders will remain with the business after they sell it. But the minute they sell it, I've talked to I can't 
reptilian number of founders that say, the next day when you come into office, even though all the pressure's off you and you're still working in the business, maybe you're the CEO still or you're taking senior VP of sales or you've got some position, it isn't the same. Mm. Because now all of a sudden, not everybody's calling you, even though you want, you, you're trying to get rid of the stress, that's like, it's this paradox. Okay, stress is gone, but now it's like, I'm not needed. I don't, what do I do now? I'm the People aren't calling me like they used to. Why am I here? Somebody else is making decisions I was making. I mean, I like the decisions they're making. How do I align with that? Bup, 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 so on and so forth. So there's the, there, a lot of these conflicts come on in very small, irritating ways. Like I've, I've been with founders who will take on a project within the company that bought them and they're still operating the company, but they really didn't want to take the project on. Then they resent taking it on. Why did they take it on? Because they didn't have what, it, you know, they needed something more to do. It's like, there, there's like, what, how do I fit in the matrix now that I've set up? And if I don't have my business, where do I go from here? So that's a very real, and, and that doesn't mean they don't celebrate and haven't had a good time, go traveling, buy some cars, whatever they do and have money in the bank now, but the, the, inevitably they come to the question, now what? Who am I now? Who will I become? Yeah. And, and I think back to the kind of the original prompt as, prompt as well. Uh, I think people think about it, but they fantasize about it. They don't plan for it. Yeah. And, you know, that generates a whole bunch. I mean, there's a lot to, to explore here, but they, it's kind of like when people, so some, some folks that talk about retirement or talk, talk about the empty nest, like when the kids go then. Um, yeah. And so, and, and why is that? I mean, I think because, I mean, even to a broader sense, I think there is X amount percent of people that are really going after success, whatever that is. I mean, so there's plenty of people that just go after survival, but then there's a certain amount of people that go after success. And even a much smaller amount of people that get it. And therefore, I think people that end up achieving it, they're a very small percentage of society that actually hit, they hit it, they generate it. And that's a closed group um, at times because there are tensions that happen in that group that probably um, they don't end up, they don't have like a, a space in which to explore it. Because there's there is uh, there's naturally jealousy that comes up if you're the one that's successful. Plenty of envy that comes up from other people. And even if like I've now made my millions of dollars and I still don't like life, I still don't like what's going on. I might not even like myself. I still don't like my spouse. I still don't like whatever's going on. And where do I go and talk about that? And so I think it's naturally it's kind of the um, you know, people love to talk about how lonely it is at the top. Well, this is like lonely up and in the clouds. Like this is like, I've made it past the top and I've, you know, hit the jackpot and it's still as miserable or as hard or as challenging as it was, even as I was climbing the mountain and I was actually used to climbing the mountain. Now I'm out here in this very elite group of people. And where do I, who and how there are very few places in which to go discuss this in a way that's both honoring and challenging. Right on. And, and and I would just wanna wanna connect with what Dan was saying before about you know getting sense for for yourself through the change because what's next it's a challenge to the sense we get from whatever we do and I think at least from the clients I've seen so far the more you achieve the less sense you're able to get from what you do 
and it seems like uh, things lose their grip because you realize that it's not about the things you do as much as it is about you and the value you give to yourself. And I believe every what's next in life, it's a time in which it's important that part of review because I believe when we identify with what we do, the danger is that uh, that becomes uh, life and the entanglement between private and professional becomes uh, incredible and, uh, and, and the professional life goes into the private life polluting also oh. a lot of stuff around it you know and i think that's really what happens because most of the successful people i see they have a they have a mess in their life uh, or in their relationships because they're all for that because that's their identity and you know i believe uh, the worst next is a great opportunity to shift from getting value from what i do to giving value to what i do and i think that shift is actually what we're talking about because at that point <laughs> the sky is the limit well, you know, you, you hit on something though, because I've had a couple of clients that have exited one way or another, and then they start, so they get home and they're not only are they wondering what are they up to, but if they're married or they've got family that they're living with or significant others, etc. what starts to come to the surface are withholds that never really got vetted during, you know, or vetted well during the process of being in the business. Like, you know, you took so much time away. There's like resentments that come up and then we're going to go through. And the next thing you do, is this going to happen again? And, you know, like all of these pains, it's like the knots start coming through the comb once you've, you've exited. Now all the things you might have neglected in your social or personal life with your children, with your spouse, or your loved one, your significant other, other friends starts to bubble up and they want to know, well, now what? And are we going to, their role has changed. And in changing, they may become aware of upset, resentments, withholds that they had yet to communicate. And that can be really alienating for if the person is not prepared for it. And also, and also that is a part of what gives us identity. Yeah. So in some ways, we become conflicted between the identity of the success and the identity of our relationships. Well, the thing is, the relationship we have, I mean, if you look around the people you, around you, you'll see what you build in your life. you got to look. I mean, somebody used to say, look at the wife to see uh, who, who the man is or look at the, man, the, the husband to see who the wife is. You know, in some ways, look at the relationship around and see what do they think about themselves and how they project themselves into their life, and and that's a, again an identity matter. So you have a, you got you got a divarication here. Once on, on the one side you're the best successful guy on the planet, on the other side everything falls apart, and so that's really that's really both are the identity. There's a little static. And, There's a little static in there. <laughs> it goes into a different direction, and but sometimes you tend to overlook those things that you give for granted and those usually get lost in the process and not recovered at the end because you got to pay actually for the mess you've done and I, and, I, and sometimes i've seen people very very sorry for themselves while they're very they were very successful on the other side yeah my lord I, in fact what you brought up triggered a couple of things the it, it's like if my family and i seen this in my own life so this is a confession more than a <laughs> but i've seen it where the family can feel like a tool for the business and now the business is gone and they're 
that comes evident. It just starts to come to the surface like, mm-hmm. and now what are you going to do next? And are we going to be part of it or are we going to be cannon fodder? And underneath, underneath, who am I for you? And again, yeah. it's an identity for those around. What's most important to you now? Davide, you made a distinction that I would love to just uh, click on, double click on. You said you go from getting value or yeah, getting value from what you do to giving value to what I do. Exactly. I thought that was really, uh, could you just take a second oh. talk? What, what do you mean by that distinction? I, I mean that people search for value in the world. And I think that's uh, something, that's a misunderstanding because we assign value to what we look at. And I believe as, as long as we look outside for the value, we're going to identify with what we do and what we have. But if we start to give value instead, instead of trying to get value from it, and, and the meaning is this, I assign the value, I, it works best to what I see. And I think it could be good, bad, whatever, you know, the, the ability to assign value and to knowing that we do it anyway, but, you know, to, be, to do it consciously, I think uh, increases the power over our own life. And, and detaches our identity from whatever outside there is uh, secure because that's what we do. You know, the success is secure and I, and I know, but then with it comes the fear of being used by others. With that com- comes a lot of stuff that it's something we got to deal with. We don't trust anymore people. In fact, the most uh, successful people I have uh, served, they are the most suspicious people on the earth. And so I'm thinking, why would I want to have all that if I can't trust anybody or I cannot enjoy it with somebody else? And it's because they get the value from the success. But if they give value to success, then all of a sudden they're detached from it and they can do whatever with it. And the work next becomes a natural process of a journey rather than something that gives me the identity. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now, that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset, are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate what's effective and what's ineffective? what your strengths are and what your blind spots are. It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. 
You brought up fears. I'd love to just get on the table. Let's name some of the fears that come up for successful people when they start thinking about what next and they haven't, they've thought about it, but they haven't planned for it as you talked about, Adrian. What, what, are the, what, let's give voice to those fears. What, how do they show up in the head? Uh, I think the main one is I am what I do. Mm. That's a worldview. The fear in that is if I don't, if I'm not doing this, then who the hell am I? Maybe I'm no one. Uh, will I become, will I, am I only, this is probably one that's a few layers deep for people, but am I only this person to other people because of my status? And mm -hmm. and if I, if I, you know, don't have this thing, um, then who am I to others? And that generates a lot of insecurity. The insecurities might've been driving them the whole time. You know, it's like, it's uh, what somebody said recently. People actually don't, don't pursue success. They avoid failure. That kind of the underlying motivation is don't be a failure, not be successful. And anyway, so like, who am I to other people if I'm not, if, I, if I'm not this person to them? And I, it, most likely they've operated in such a trans, even if it's mysterious to them or unconscious for them, they've operated in such a transactional way. We naturally project onto others the way we think. So I've, I've been very transactional and I am only using, I'm, I'm in a relationship with this person as long as I get something from them. Um, and then I'm not, I'm usually perceiving they're going to do the same to me. So if I'm not, if I'm no longer the cool person going to the cool parties and blah, 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 will they still want me or Will I become a nobody? You just, you just illuminated beautifully that saying, we don't react to people. We react to who we think people think we are. So I project who I think the person is, who I think they think I am, because, and that's going to be come out of who I think I am. So if I think I'm only valuable because I do these things for other people, I'm going to be suspecting the only value they see in me is what I do for them. And and let me counterbalance that with something else because I've had a client to which I asked him, let's go somewhere for a week where nobody knows you, you don't bring your things, you leave it all home. And he he got he got fearful, you know, because on one side he was um he was complaining that people were with him because of his success. On the other side he didn't want to go where nobody knew his success. Because see it becomes a sustainable situation. You you blame it, yet you need it. Yeah, the cycle. So I also think about what if this what if this first success or this second success or third success was a fluke? What if I got lucky? And what next is going to expose me to that possibility? What if it doesn't work? What if it's not successful? What does that mean about me? What does it mean about the first success? That's I mean, I think that is a a driving factor around this fear around what's next. I also think about like what if the set, what if it wasn't me? What if it was actually my partner or my or my team or the market at the time or you know that sort of stuff? And all of that is going to come up as you think about what's next. Well, I, th I think that's all part of narcissism. We all have it. It's like how much of this am I in to validate myself, and how much of it am I actually? You, it's to, uh, it's an opening to express what's most important to me. And the more I express what's more most important to me, the more the the more capable I am in creating order wherever I go. But but if I'm using it as an identity, like a trophy, which by the way, this is like we're not. It's not like an either or. It's like 
we're such a mixture of this, the dark side, light side. It's like it's a daily practice of remembering that, okay, I am here to produce something, to give, to make something meaningful happen with other people, both on the team and in the community. Or I'm here to derive my sense of well-being and sense of identity. Which one is it? And that can change moment to moment. The more consistently I stay focused on my stand of what I'm committed to causing, what I'm committed to have happen, what's meaningful to have happen from me, the less I'm going to get, I, the more I'm going to be able to deal with the changes, the ups and the downs and the voids, and the less I'm going to feel trapped by my own business, like yeah. in, imprisoned or incarcerated in my own business. Yeah. Well, you know, and let's own the fact that the most most highly successful people are very obsessive. Yeah. Right. And that's why they're it's part of the it's a glorious like contribution to their success. So they they're obsessive and they found something to be obsessed about. Well, once after you've sold your thing, you've lost your favorite drug. You know, the thing that <laughs> the, the like the thing that was so it was satiating. And it was socially acceptable to be excessive about this because you look, you look, you are, you look uh, engaged and ambitious. And, you know, there's lots of license around that. I think I know, I know I've seen it, I've been close to it of like, once the thing goes away, then, then what do I do with this obsession? People can turn to really dark places, whether it's yeah. the kind of the stereotypical, like go to the bottle, drugs, you know find some kind of flings or whatever, some kind of like hedonistic um, pursuit, which is normal and natural for people or whatever. It's common, I should say, you know, but what if I don't find, what if I am my obsession and I, and I don't have the next thing, you know, cause there's the most, I mean, there's some pl plenty really grounded founders, but I don't know many of them, you know, and that's part of their brilliance is like, they're not grounded. They're like, they're like a dog on a bone. Like I got to go do this thing and like very activity, and they're they're prone to being they are being prone to being activity focused and very dramatic. Yeah, and you think about it, there are usually people who can attain a flow state about something and they love it. Every human being likes to be in a flow state. So you take away the the thing that I'm focused on, and now I've got to create a new game where I can create that flow state. How do I, you know, it, it, because having all the money and Trapping is going to be good for a very short period of time until I realize like there's something more than that for me. Where can I go get that flow state? Where can I go give myself in a way that I'm fully engaged? I'm I'm willing to be um, dominated by what I'm doing in a way that brings the best out of me. And there's something we all like about that. So yeah, there, I mean, there's a legitimate high in there, if you will. Mm -hmm. it's, it's forgetting what the nexus or the who's the cause of that like I caused that because I brought the meaning I chose this now what do I want to choose next and that's that that's really a, that's a big question one thing one thing I want to add to what Chad what the question because see the question Chad your Chad your question Chad was uh, you know the insecurity after a huge success I think, you know, you can view it as something that scares people, but actually I believe also that could be reframed into a moment in which you really, uh, you know, draw a bottom line and look at where you are. 
So that's the fear to look at where we are. And I think if we look at where we are, then we can move on much better. So that fear is the uh, self-defense mechanism of our comfort zone. So I think fear usually comes up when we're getting outside of the comfort zone. And I believe when we look at what's next, that fear is is, um, built in the process. You know, am I going to be sufficient or whatever is going to happen? Is it going to be whatever, you know, that fear? And I think that's a, a defense mechanism of the comfort zone. We need to learn that that is a passage of the process. And, uh, and the more we look at where we are, the more effective we can become for the next step. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Most folks don't want to take a look at how uh, enticing the soap opera is. Um. You know, and it, I could call it that by using more you know, dignifying language around it. It's just like there's chaos and, and a, a leader's job is to organize that chaos, see it, language it, and then organize it. And it's also very, it's very distracting, but it, but on this, on this core level, it's also very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It occupies my branding, you know, and if I lose that, um, then, you know, what am I going to do with myself? And that's, you know, and, and probably if you're coming at it really responsibly, you're going to say, you're going to, if, if I, if I am dependent on or hooked on, or just really love the chaos, I will go generate chaos. And typically to your point earlier, you know, David, it's like generating relational chaos is, you know, obviously very easy to go do is like, just go generate a ton of relational chaos, which has got, you know, prices, um, and you know you pay in penalties and interest down the road from a legacy perspective and your spouse or your kids or your grandkids or you know your immediate family so uh, yeah, go ahead go ahead davide no 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 you go <laughs> uh well i was just going to say you know we we've really explored this challenge a lot and i think hopefully those who are listening who are experiencing the challenge can really recognize themselves in some of these and adrian i that was really interesting as you talked about how people tend to try to solve the tension of what's next. And, you know, you talked about addiction, recreating that addiction somewhere else, um, re- recreating that distraction somewhere else. Are there any, it's okay if not, but I'm just curious, are there any other ways that come to mind for for you all as you've worked with founders, people who've exited, successful people? Are there any other ways that would be recognizable for the listen listeners? Because um, sometimes this can be the water that we're swimming in and not even know it, right? So the idea is here is can we name some of this stuff, which is can we, are there other ways that successful people work to deal with this, the, the crisis of this question uh, that you've recognized that just doesn't work? That just doesn't work and they try to deal, let me clear out the question. Yeah, are there unhealthy ways to yeah. deal with the crisis or the relationship with this question? Yeah, one thing I, I remember—I don't know if you remember the the actor um, Benigni, Roberto Benigni. Well, <laughs> La Vita done, Bella, Bella. Exactly, exactly. La Vita Bella uh, won uh, uh, an Oscar, you know, and uh, and after that, he has never done anything of that quality, and actually, mm-hmm. he almost disappeared for the movie scene because I believe it was a big success, and his fear as you were saying before, to match himself. It was in competition with himself, with the great success he had just done, you know? And so at that point, he lost his resources because he was trying to compete to something that he already done. 
So that really sent him in a loop. And I believe now he does only readings of the Divine Comedy, a few other things, but he's not really out there doing other movies. And, and because he thinks probably, I don't know what he thinks, but, you know, it looks like he went to the top and he's afraid to try again because he might not be as good, you know. And that's something that happens often. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was listening. I can't even remember who it was now. It, uh, it was a musician who had released an album, first album, went to the top of the charts, very, very popular. And they were they were in an interview. They were very real about it, saying, like, we don't even know if we want to do another interview because what, or we don't know if we want to do another album because what if it's not as good? What if we can't top it? So mm-hmm. they hold the gift back and inside yeah. and never give anything else to the world. I think, you know, Davide is what you were talking about is what am I going to give to what I do? That's what I hear is like, that's another way people deal with this is just draw back. Just fall back into the ether. Mm-hmm. And try to identify with the old success. Yeah. You know, right. and, and and that's really fear-based or comfort zone-based. And if you look at what's next, it's uh, it's actually, you know, well, beyond now. Yeah, we, we have, when we work with teams, we'll have some big breakthroughs. And then we'll go forward. And, I'll, and one of the things I say is, going forward, don't try to reproduce this. Remember what it took to produce this and keep be willing to give that out there. But you you didn't know this was coming this way. You just gave yourself, right? You got clear what you're committed to. You were willing to have the difficult conversations. You, you, you extended yourself. You stood. You didn't try to preserve yourself. You were uncomfortable and still brought yourself to the party, et cetera, et cetera. Remember that. You know, Kierkegaard talks about human beings have a discipline that they don't understand. And if they did, they'd exercise it differently. And that's the exercise of remembering and forgetting. Remembering, so he says, forget the mountaintops, forget the great accomplishments. You can work, you can forget those. Remember the journey, what it took to get there. What motivated you? What what actually brought you, what, what came, what brought you to the, the surface? Like Benini, for instance, Obviously, he was fully into the process of developing that as an expression. He wasn't trying to beat something else. Yeah. Like he so if, if the next time I go up, I can forget the last time I was at bat, I can be at this time at bat, completely in the batter's box with the pitcher in that moment. Yeah. That's a real discipline. Yeah? Ted Lasso, be a goldfish. Yeah, be a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> No, there there is something about uh, about uh, not see the the thing is that when when you've been successful, you have a a way things should look like, and I believe that's one of the limitations in this type of process because they may come in a totally different way. Are you going to be able to recognize the possibility even if it comes in a way that you don't know? And that's really what the what success sometimes limits because you know. How it should be, but actually you don't. And so when something comes in a different way, you got to be in the present, in the moment, not comparing and looking at what you can do with what is, well, rather than looking at if what is looks like my last success. You know? Yeah, in in your last success, you saw the obstacle as a possibility. You embraced it. You took it on. In the new success, if it doesn't look like it was before, the obstacle looks like a threat instead of a possibility. Because I'm too busy. I'm not really in fully because half of me is looking over here, making sure it's it's like that. And men, you know, 
there are so many avenues that that is relevant in, right? This is the opposite side of failure. It's the same coin. If I fail, I go around thinking I don't want that again mm -hmm. versus I wonder what worked, what didn't work, like like breaking it down so I could be in the moment with whatever I have. Right, so they're very. It's the same coin, just different sides. Yeah, and when you talk about the process and not the the, the success, I think uh, at this point in my life, I want to spend every day enjoying it. I don't want to spend only enjoying my success. You know, so uh, if I want to, I want to be happy. I I want to be in a process that I love, and you know, in what next is really that the point. You know, am I? Do I want to spend my days enjoying myself or do I want to spend my days looking forward to the enjoyment of the success? And I think at this point in time, it's really about uh, what am I doing with the present that, that makes the most sense, mainly when, when, when you are in this position in life. And I, I think it also comes down to who I want to be with. Like, what, who do I want at my table in on my team? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's important. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, for me, and I noticed that's true for a lot of people who've exited before they find another team, they look for a team they can work with, right? Yeah. Or they don't. And, and if they just go after competency and they haven't thought about that, they might find themselves in a situation where they go, oh, shit, why did I do this to myself again? Yeah. Well, it comes up to me here, and not to get too uh weird for people but there's a grieving process you know like once you once you leave either if you left it and it went exactly the way you wanted and no and you you don't have that as it was anymore that's a loss or if like it happens most of the time things don't go perfectly at the end and there's some regret there and man yeah there's other people that maybe you felt betrayed by maybe you betrayed yourself maybe you didn't show up in the last six months in a ways that was like fully like the crescendo to this great symphony and there's some regret there and then you now you're out. And typically people like to meddle, um, either meddle like physically or just meddle in their minds and like can stay in a conversation for a long time, like working it over and over again and like building resentments over time. And when people ask them, how did it go? Like, you know, it's just this, it's this furnace of what almost did or what couldn't have or like, like that. And there's a, you know, where do you go to like talk through that? Where do you go to like really responsibly deal with, you know, because a lot of people will just can like they can't imagine themselves outside of that context for good reason. Like they've been at it for they've been at it for five, 10, 20 years, and it's been so naturally ingrained in their identity um, that they don't know who the hell they are on the other side of all of that very known um, context. So there's a loss. There's loss, and we don't talk about the loss of success. Yeah, and then the transformation that's available is regret and resentment into great gratitude. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a that those are those are polemics that. So there's you walk away with regret and resentment. There is a way to stand to that that it could transform into gratitude, and that's a lot of the work we do is that as like because if I don't get that handled, I mean that part of me is going to stay. With health, I'm going to be making sure that doesn't happen again because I'm resentful, yeah. and and so it's difficult to optionalize anything that comes that doesn't fit into my view that of how it should be. Mm -hmm. Dan, you mentioned, oh, Davide, go ahead. 
Yeah, one implication on the what what's next also is that you don't go, you can't go back. I don't know if you've seen Mad Men, you know the series, but uh, the, at the at the end of it, you know, he he exit his job place and the job place took over somebody else, and then he comes back. There was no room for him anymore in something that he was the boss, you know, for a long time in, you know, and so I think you know in the Boiler alert. next, what's next? I think there is there is a. a place where you don't go back where you can't go back and and find exactly the experience that you've had when you were building the success so there's no way back for it so the only place is to go is forward and i believe what we do uh, it's it's about that it's like it's like embracing what is to to create what you want and i believe the the first step though embracing what is is acceptance for what is given to you to work with and and that's really the first step to be able to Go to what what's next and uh, and uh, enjoy it. Uh, very much. So you guys are um, making this transition for me beautifully. So Dan, you talked about the work that we do. Davide, you're saying this is the first step. Let's just talk about that for a second. Let's talk about Icon. So we have this experience coming up in November in Italy. Um, World class experience as far as location and food and training and opportunity. I'm like gardening one of the top 50 resorts in the world. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be okay. Um, so let's talk about what are we committed to this? This is, and this, by the way, is the challenge that the entire experience is built around those who are asking themselves what's next and are looking for ways or are looking for opportunities to answer that in a meaningful way. What are we as a team committed to for those who are coming to Italy? What are we committed to for them? Well, a thorough exploration of this dynamic in a way that they can navigate it and open up. You know, icon means like the iconic existence is like the ability to keep to presence yourself over and over again in a way that not only makes it's meaningful and productive for other people, but it's forwarding your legacy further and further into the world, right? It's it's bringing meaning and contribution, not to your family, to your business, but to your community as well and to you, right? And usually people who have done these things, it, it, you know, have exited or been accomplished in anything. The game is never big enough. I, I Michelangelo is a perfect example. Michelangelo said, Lord, give me the desire to always want to accomplish more than I'm able to. Like, I, I always want something calling me into existence. And this is about harnessing that, recognizing it, putting language on it, declaring it, and, and bringing it into being. Yeah. Then there, so part of the experience for folks is they're going to see two, they're going to have two main experiences. One is they're going to realize part of the universality that other folks are going through this, that there are others that are going through uh, almost a very same conversation. That's both, and that's really number one, because I think us feeling that our struggles are are unique to us is actually what generates the experience of struggle. Is is not that it's it's this is hard. Everybody we're talking to, and everybody on this call, we're used to taking on hard shit. If I feel like nobody else gets what I'm going through, that makes it even harder. Next, initiates the experience. Number one. Number two is there are. There are unique contexts that each person is going through based on who they are and where they're coming from and where they're headed next and their relationship to all those things. So 
both relief and the universality and then honoring of the specificity. Um, and the group that we've got together, it will be like a club of folks that really get it. Uh, and we'll end up supporting folks into the future, right? So it's the beginning of a whole new era of conversation for them. And they'll walk out with fresh tools for sure, new perspectives for sure, and a whole new community of folks that can that can have your back as you walk this difficult yet glorious road. So there's something about uh, something about uh, not doing things by enthusiasm, but doing things because you choose to be who you are and to leave a legacy into the world and 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 basically make um, your contribution remain even beyond you. And I think, you know, people usually look for something that excites them. And I don't think this is going to be about excitement per se. It's going to be about uh, being aware that we are in charge of our experience in the process and uh, knowing how to manage that experience through the process to make it what it needs to be. And that goes far beyond the next step because it begins to be the way that you just uh, eat, look at the world and give value to the world. And I think that's the legacy for people that want to go beyond what they've done so far. The legacy is leave a sign and, and even a direction. And, uh, and for those who come after, because some of these people have uh, kids that will take their place eventually. And I think to be able to prepare the road for those who come after and uh, make it sustainable and not only sustainable, but, you know, incremental even in their hands, because if it is healthy, it's going to basically ripple, you know, on those around them. And I think that's really my, my desire for those that come is not just about what's next now, but what's next every day in some ways. And how do I engage with it such that I can generate value for myself and others around me? Right on. This is a, this is a, going to be a highly, um, meticulously curated room. Uh, we're making sure that each person there is committed to something new in this question of what's next and something meaningful. So if you want, if you're interested, you want to apply, you can go to icon or sorry, takenewground.com forward slash icon. You can apply there. You can watch a video. There's a, there's also some information about who this thing is for uh, and what's it, what it's going to be. It's November 9th through the 11th, 2023, November 9th through 11th. This isn't the last time we'll talk about it. However, seats are limited. They are going to go fast. So if you if this speaks to you, you want to apply, go to the website, apply. We would love to talk to you about what you see possible in the question of what's next for you. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Oh, my pleasure, man. Appreciate all of you. Thank you. Well, happy. Honored to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, David. Thanks, Matthew. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday, we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week, bye-bye, everybody.